Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today we're excited to introduce to you, some of you, some of you already know her, Sika Schmidt, who's in the studio with us today. Sika, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Beaten Real and the work that you're doing with your platform? Um, yeah. Okay. That's a big question. So Beat and Real <laughs> is um, an online boutique and blog that's really focused on mindful living, mindful fashion. Um, and from that, we've kind of expanded into lots of programs and projects, but um, it's really a place to come to learn more about, you know, sustainability, um, mindful choices, our purchasing power and sort of the power that each individual has in their everyday life to create the world they want to live in. Um, you're right. That's that's actually a lot. And you've only answered the first part. So why don't you just tell us, how does someone get involved in that? Was that like, I'm very conscientious in the choices I make and I realize some of my friends aren't. So I think I'll create a platform where they can learn to be like, how do you start this? Um, I actually started it because it was... Um, it- something I wasn't aware of at all, actually. Um, Several years ago, I wasn't thinking at all about what I was buying and I was working in fashion and wasn't thinking about where things were being made or the impact they might have on the environment. And as I slowly started becoming more aware, I realized how hard it was to make these choices because Mm -hmm. a lot of times you just don't know where to find the better choice. It's not that you don't want to make the better choice. You just can't find it. And um, so it was actually just my own experiment of like, what are the brands I can shop for? Um, You know, what are the choices I can make. And as I started compiling these lists and sort of um, creating my own standards of what I wanted to buy, um, I thought, well, other people might want this too. You know, I can't be the only one that's struggling to find the information. And why do you think it was a struggle to begin with? Is it that brands aren't promoting themselves as being conscientious brands? Is it that they're harder to find because they don't have the dollars to promote themselves? What is it about? Because we hear this a lot. Like it's really hard to find these brands that um, don't just slap an ethical label on, but truly are. So is it, or, or maybe that's it. Maybe I just answered my own question, really knowing that in fact, you're doing the due diligence of saying they are in fact ethical or they're not. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things going on. I feel like we're kind of at a tipping point where Mm -hmm. we're starting to see a lot more brands. It's actually much easier now to find brands than when I started. Um, And there's a lot of um, events and things that have led up to this tipping point that um, it's it's good that it's happening. But I do think um, a lot of sustainable brands are small. They don't have marketing budgets. Um, they're kind of lost in the crowd. Um, when I started, there just weren't as many. So it was just literally a numbers game. Um, so when was I, that? Um, so Beat and Real launched about three and a half years ago, okay. and I started working on it about five years ago. Okay. So, okay. 
Um, yeah, so five years ago when I first started looking for these brands, they, they really weren't that many. There's significantly more now, which is so exciting. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a combination of all of it that makes it hard to find. And then there's the greenwashing, like you said. Like yeah. a lot of times people, they, they don't know if they can trust when something says, you know, sustainable because that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Um, and so people get overwhelmed and confused and don't don't know what brands are actually good and just using words. Sure. In fact, I'm not going to name names, but I was in New York this weekend shopping at a fast fashion location looking for something for my daughter. And um, there's a whole new rack that says sustainable on the tags, which really surprised me. So do you think that this brand, again, that I'm not going to mention, do you think that they are making a conscious effort to do what's right because consumers are demanding it? Or do you think they are in fact slapping a label? And you don't know who I'm talking about. So just suffice it to say it's a large brand that are in, is in many malls across America. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really um, interesting question and one I struggle a little bit with. Um, I definitely think sustainability as a concept is becoming much more popular. So mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of brands move in that direction, um, you know, from fast, fast fashion brands to, you know, very sustainable companies. Um, and sometimes they're doing it because they've kind of seen the light and they really want to make changes. Sometimes sure. they're doing it because they think it's a great marketing tool. Um, and sometimes they're doing it because um, they they know that a word like sustainable is very vague. It's not really... You know, it they makes people feel good. It, it makes people feel good, but they don't really have to change a lot. So it kind of just depends on the brand. Um, I think one of the hard things that we're kind of grappling with right now in fashion is that one of the major sustainability issues in fashion is just that there's too much of it. We're all making too much. We're buying too much. We're using too many resources and we're discarding too much. So inherently a fast fashion brand that is, you know, using organic cotton, I'm stoked that they're using organic cotton, but it's still contributing to the biggest problem, which is just too much. So it's, it's a balance and a compromise and something that um, it's not a black and white answer. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there are any when it comes to fashion and sustainability. And I think, um, you know, you try to make the best choices you can with your budget, your time, your information. Okay. So why don't you define sustainability? Accor according to you, what is sustainability? Um, I consider sustainability um, meeting the needs of the current generation without uh, jeopardizing the future generation. Um, and one of the things I try really hard with at Beat and Real is I try not to throw words around too much that, um, don't have a tangible meaning. Okay. So, you know, if I, I don't call a dress a sustainable dress, I would say this is an organic cotton dress and that has certain sustainable qualities to it being organic, or it might be a vegan bag and that might have certain, you know, tangible sustainable qualities because it's being vegan. But I try not to call fashion sustainable in general, if I'm talking about specific things. Okay. So you just answered your own question or your own sort of, um, posing of a question, which is these brands can assign anything to sustainability. Because when I think of sustainable, I think of in terms of a line or a brand, um, there's something in that product line that is, um, doing something good for a sustainable period. 
So if it's a fashion brand that, um, or we'll just say brand that's creating something in uh, a developing country, that 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 in that country that work can continue continue, that it's not a one-off, that the people who are serving that brand or creating for that brand are being cared for well. Um, but you, your definition is much more all-encompassing. It's those things plus. I think so. Um, and again, I think sustainability is such a challenging word yeah. because it kind of does mean something different to every company yeah. and every person. And, and I do think we all assume sustainability means there's something good happening. Um, the hard thing about it is we may not know what that company means. The good thing is, I mean, that could be anything from, you know, using solar powered factories and organic cottons and non-toxic dyes to their recycling their paper, which is great, but maybe that's not, you know, what you want to pay extra money for. Sure. No. And I think that is a really good point that perhaps what they're doing is not even part of that product line. Perhaps what they're doing as a company is something that is completely, um, apart or separate from the thing that you're buying. But that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that that's not true to some degree. Legally, sure, it would be true. Sure, and, and it's still good. Like, yeah. I mean, any sustainable any sustainable practice anybody or any company is doing, I encourage. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you said something earlier about, uh, you know, some brands are doing it um, from, from a marketing perspective or so that they can better market their brand to a generation that really cares, or I would say a, a consumer um, group that really cares. Is that okay? Can we, can we say that even if your motives aren't completely pure, if you're really making a difference, we'll be okay with it? Or is it like, no, because at some point that's going to break down? That is such a great question. Um, I guess it, it's the question of do the ends justify the means? Um, I mean, I think we're at this point where we have to be happy with any ends that we can get, regardless of how we're getting there. However, um, my stance is, I guess if I was given the option of two companies and one was doing it from a marketing standpoint and one was doing it because they inherently believed in it, I would Mm. still rather support the one that was inherently believing in it because I feel like it goes deeper too, where, um, you know, if a company is doing something just from a marketing standpoint, they're maybe not doing other things they could in other areas. Mm. Whereas, um, you know, a lot of the companies I work with, they live and breathe this, they believe it so deeply. And so they're doing things that they don't even market or talk about that are so incredible. And, um, I will support a company that's doing any good, but I'd rather support the one that's doing as much good as possible. Yeah. Um, That was really obvious. I had the pleasure of participating in one of your fashion shows um, and uh, emceeing a panel. And I was so impressed with the people that you had on that panel and the depth by which they represented their brand the consumers they wanted to serve, the companies that they talked about or represented, um, wherever they were in the cycle of the garment industry, um, whether they were blo- uh, you know bloggers talking about it or people who were actually recycling or creating product or informing a completely demogra- a different demographic of uh, what does it mean to be fashionable and how it affects people uh, socially. I was so impressed with the quality of the panel and um, that they sort of on a on a scale of one to ten were hovering around the ten in really meaning doing what they said they were doing and living according to that 
how hard is it to find those people that you can talk about on Beat and Real, that you can feature at your fashion show, that you can highlight um, in the fashion show? Like, how hard is it to to find these people who are kind of true blue? Um, it's both very challenging and very easy. And thank you again for being part of the event. I consider you part of the, um, you know, panel and host that made it such an amazing oh, it evening. It was an amazing event. <laughs> it truly was. Beautiful too. Um, so I would say, especially in the beginning, it was very, very hard. Um, I also, in the beginning, maybe didn't always know the right questions to ask. Sure. Um, I didn't know the right things to look for. And so a lot of times I would end up maybe surprised by something later on. Um, now I feel like I'm at this point where I've been doing this a little while. I, I know a lot of people and I feel like, I don't know, you're like, you kind of just attract the people that are doing the same things that mm -hmm. you are doing and believe in the same things, which doesn't mean we don't sometimes completely disagree with each other or I don't love everything everybody does all the time. But um, I'd say I'm at a point now where I'm very fortunate that I have this very big community of people who are just like so incredible. Or even when I'm looking at the 2018 Fair Trade Fashion Show, I'm like, oh, can I have like 85 people on the panel? Is that too many? Yeah, because <laughs> I know so many awesome people. And to the extent that you just said you might not even agree, there were actually two people on the panel that represented um, two different sides of the same problem and had almost two different solutions. And we don't need to get into it, but you know what might be fun is maybe you can give us a list of some people you think would be great for us to know about and we yes. can include it in the show notes. I would it was love such that. an education. My husband was there too and he was like, oh my gosh, I learned so much wow. being there and listening to these people kind of espouse their knowledge, their core beliefs, um, speaking to one another, contradicting one another, but all with this, you know, this real heart for somehow finding out how we need to do this better so that we can be sustainable. Yes. Oh, well, thank <laughs> um, you for that. So you launch this. You mm -hmm. basically say, okay, five years ago, I really want to get into this space personally. I'm going to start taking a look at what it means to make these purchases in a conscientious way, look at brands that are, um, that are true blue to what they say. And three years uh, ago, say, okay, I'm going to make essentially a blog out of it. Is that true that Beat and Real started as a blog or no? No, it actually okay. started the store. The blog evolved out of it. I did okay. it backwards maybe. <laughs> okay, no, so tell us that because I think a lot of our listeners are sort of, can I do the blog thing? And this is going to be a great story for, don't think about perhaps doing it that way. Tell us the yeah. store story. Well, I think you have to start with... Um, I guess maybe where you view your strengths and what you're trying to accomplish. So at the time, what I viewed as the real problem that I was trying to solve is I thought um, it's really hard to find sustainable brands and you have to do so much searching. I'm going to bring them all together. And if I have a boutique where you can search, you know, 60 different sustainable brands, that's going to make it easier. And if it's easier, people are more willing to do it. Mm -hmm. So that was my solution. Um, I started writing the blog just because I really like to write and um, it, you know, it became much more popular than I expected, which was wonderful. But I I think one of the things I realized ultimately out of this whole thing is that um, all of these are sort of my um, vehicles of trying to get my message out that ultimately my goal isn't necessarily to have a boutique or a blog or a fashion show. It's to get my message out. And I want to do that in the most impactful way that I can. And so um, I'm grateful that all of these vehicles have been successful. But 
I, I think it doesn't really matter how you go about it as long as you're getting your end result and you're enjoying doing it, you know? Do you think each of the vehicles supports the other platform? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think they're very, um, it's very much like a, uh, yeah, they all support each other. I yeah. can't think of an articulate way no, to say it. No, I mean, it. We, we are sort of the same over here. You know, we have these various platforms, whether it's a live event mm -hmm. or it's the podcast or the upcoming um uh, Liberty Journal, um, and then there's other things that we'll be rolling out soon. But the idea is that each one of these aggregates a community, mm -hmm. serves a community, informs a community, mm -hmm. um, perhaps the same community or people that like one of those mediums over the other. So it, it's a different way of hitting different people with that same message. Absolutely. And I think that's what I enjoy about having these different ways of mm -hmm. doing it. It's much more work. Yes. Um, Fashion show alone. That's no joke. It's a lot more work to sort of have all these different branches. But again, you can reach, you know, not everybody is going to come shopping. Um, and not everybody wants to read a blog, but somebody might want to do one or the other or some part of it. And that's, that's what I want. Which is the hardest one? Um, I would say the, sh the retail side mm -hmm. only because I think it actually doesn't play to my strengths as well as the other ones do. Um, and I think it's a lot like for me, the blog is very fun. Like I enjoy writing. I enjoy finding pretty pictures. I enjoy styling clothing. Like that's all fun. Yeah. It's work, but it's fun. Um, the retail side is a lot more, uh, day-to-day -day administrative kind sure. of. So I think I view that as a little bit harder just because it's um, a little less creative a lot of the time, um, but important. And are you rotating? So do you work just like a, a, a regular boutique would work in that you identify brands or clothing and you purchase those and at whatever, you know, three units of each or whatever you're buying, and then you sell them, you mark them up and you sell them? Or is this a slightly different hybrid model with this boutique? Um, it It's more of a hybrid. It started out that way. I was, um, you know, doing exclusively wholesale and warehousing things and, um, yeah, just like an online store. Um, over time, it's sort of evolved. I now do a mix of a lot of things depending on the brands. I have some that I hold on consignment. I have okay. some that I do drop ship. I have some that I buy in stock. It depends a lot on the product, the brand. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into determining um, what the best route is. Yeah. And I, the reason I asked the question is because so many of these brands are young mm -hmm. and um, might not be, might not have the capacity to do what other brands have been able to do. Mm -hmm. And also because you're trying to stay sort of on top of what's going on. It's not about having a static brand that's going to be around for years. It's like looking for who's doing what now and how, do, how does that inform this audience that views you as an authority, not just in the kind of fashion style end of it, but as an authority in this more um, conscious space of how we shop and how we buy and the brands that we're looking at. Um, but it seems like everybody no matter what kind of boutique they're running, is doing this sort of hybrid. There's a little bit of a lot of things going on. And I think as the retail model in general tries to figure itself out, that's probably going to continue for a couple of years. Yeah, it's an interesting time for retail. It's definitely shifting. I mean, even, you know, Amazon and Nordstrom and all these huge yeah. retailers, I mean, they're they're doing lots of hybrid-y kind of models too. So yeah. um, I, I actually think that's what encouraged me to try different models. I was like, well, if they're doing it yeah. and it's working for them and they have huge research teams, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. But it does make for extra work. 
because you have these different relationships and these different sorts of um, models for each brand or a series mm-hmm. of brands. And so that makes for a little bit more administrative it and follow-up does. work. It does. But I think in the end, it's all a lot of work. It just depends how you kind of like piecemeal it out. <laughs> that's, you a, know? that's a very good point. Um, now, did you know that you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Or did this just kind of blossom? Um, no. In fact, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur because um, both my parents are entrepreneurs and have been my whole life. Oh, how um, you saw it and you're like, I, I saw it run, and I was like, I want a steady paycheck. I want vacation days. I don't want to work weekends. I don't how want to funny. work 12 hours a day for the rest of my life. Um I mean, at the same time, I also watched, you know, how much they loved what they did Mm. and how great it was to have their own company, which my mom still runs. My father passed away um, and she still runs it. But and I saw the good things that came out of it, but I was also like, oh, that's so much work. Why would I do that? So I actually wasn't at all interested in entrepreneurship. It kind of I don't know. I felt like it got to this point where like I had to do it. It wasn't that I wanted to. I just had to. I, I wonder if a lot of, there's probably a lot of entrepreneurs that would agree with you. Um, I think some definitely chase that. That's, you know, I want, I want to, whether it's, I have an idea and I want to bring it to fruition or I just want to work for myself. But I think there are a lot of people that, and we've interviewed a lot of women who've said, this was an accident. This was a side <laughs> gig. This was some, I didn't really intend for this to be the case. So somehow it finds you. It does. Um, and can you, in the last three years, let's say, so not not the five years that you've been thinking about this all, but specifically in the last three years where you've run these various platforms, was there ever a time you were like, I'm done. I want to throw in the towel. Oh, like once a week. Okay, good. Good to hear. Hashtag once a week, ladies. Did you hear that? And and then what keeps you going? What what says to you, Sika, shake it off. It's just another bad day or you're going to get over this. I think what I feel very fortunate about in my business is that I really believe it's for something bigger than myself. And I'm really trying to make the world a better place. And I really believe this is the best way that I can do that, that those are my skill sets. And so it's like, if I give up, I'm not just giving up on myself and my dream. I'm giving up on um, this greater world that I want to create. I love that. When you um, closed your fashion show, you gave uh, a very moving sort of thank you and, uh, you know, to all the people who came and participated and a a very heartfelt speech. And I heard as I was leaving, like, that was the highlight for people. It wasn't the beautiful things that were going up and down the runway. It wasn't even the amazing panel that you had, but it was you listening to your heart. And it's coming through now again, but listening to how you want to change the world and leave your mark in this way. And it's amazing how people respond to that. And it's like, if one person can be so excited and so passionate about something, perhaps I should be paying attention. So (laughs) thank you for giving us your wisdom and infusing and educating, infusing us with that. Um, it's, it's electric, but also I think educating us in the process. Um, absolutely. So if you could, so there's all these women listening and some men, um, and they're listening to you talk about sort of your story of becoming an entrepreneur. And some of them are in the thick of it and maybe wanting to throw in the towel. (laughs) And some of them are just kind of hatching an idea or trying to psych themselves into, I can do this. I, I can. Um, what, what, what do you want to tell them? Um, how do you want to advise them based on maybe a mistake that you made or something really great that you did? So you look back mm-hmm. at when you started and you say, gosh, if I only would have known, if someone would have told me, how do you 
What's the wisdom you want to pass on to them based on your own experience? I think the thing that I wish I had known at the beginning is to listen to my intuition, to like always listen to my intuition. I feel like every mistake I've made, and I've made a lot of them, um, were times when I knew on some level that a person or an organization or a choice was not the right choice. And I talked myself out of it, Mm. or I let somebody else talk me out of it. And every time it would end up not going well. And the times that I did listen to myself, even when people were like, no, that's nuts. Don't do that. And I just knew it was the right thing great things came out of it. Um, And it's a hard thing because it's not a tangible thing. And intuition is a very, you know, you can't uh, measure it. Um, But I I really think listening to yourself is the most important thing. And and whatever you need to do to do that, you know, I do yoga and I meditate and I do a lot of things to try to um, get centered and be able to hear what Mm -hmm. my intuition is telling me. So it's not just, you know, I can't just tap into it, you know, at whim. I have to work for it. But um, yeah, so put the time into tapping into your intuition. I think that's the most valuable thing you can do because then no matter what you do, whatever choice you make, it's going to be the best choice you can make. I like that you have articulated that in a kind of a fresh way, because I think we hear a lot of people say, a lot of entrepreneurs, listen to your gut. That's their big kind of takeaway. And what you've done is you've um, given us a very specific way of checking in with our gut by creating time to listen, which is something that I think a lot of, you know, busy people in general, but entrepreneurs specifically don't make time to do. So then they expect that gut that they're supposed to be listening to to be reactive. It's like in the moment, I'm going to know, but you're saying no carve out time and space so you can sort of sit with it and let it settle. And then perhaps even it can inform the why, why Mm -hmm. does that not feel right to me? And even if it feels right to other people, why does it not feel right to me? So thanks for giving us something more tangible um, on that. You're welcome. So Sika, thank you so much for sitting with us in this first half. Everyone, hold on, stay tuned, because the second half of the brain-picking portion is coming at you next week. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower.